you've got 137 different collections mechanisms in different countries around the world. They all operate on different systems. Okay. The rights are effed up. If your if your name is misspelled by one letter, if the song title is misspelled by one letter or one word, you will never see those monies. And you won't even know that you're not seeing it until you do an audit. If you could do an audit. Every startup and tech company is after one main thing. Creating a company culture. I'd like to introduce you to Poppin. Poppin is more than just a popular furniture company. They are a culture creator. Poppin is so proactive about embracing our community culture, bringing everyone together at their incredible Silicon Beach mixers. Definitely go to poppin.com. Mention we are LA Tech to get on the invite list. Poppin's main mission is to create an atmosphere where we together can work happy. Poppin.com. P-O-P-P-I-N.com. Welcome to the We Are LA Tech podcast, Crypto Fridays special edition. We're here coming to you every Friday, highlighting an amazing tech company in LA that's working in the blockchain and crypto space. And we have some amazing guests here today doing something really cool, really rock and roll, actually. Uh, Steve and Robert, please uh, introduce yourselves and tell us your company. I'm Steve Stewart. I'm the uh, co-founder and CEO of Vest. I'm Robert Menendez, co-founder and chief financial officer of Vest. And we love that we're here with you, Ira. Yeah, thank uh, you for having awesome. us. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks for being here. Come on, so, LA! <laughs> go LA. Woo! <laughs> anyway, uh, tell us a little bit about what Vest does and what you guys are up to in blockchain. Certainly. Um, you know, we were, first and foremost, we're fans of music. We you know, feel like music is kind of the soundtrack to everyone's life. And what we'd like to do is bring value to the people that create music in a more direct fashion, you know, allow them to continue to make uh, and create as long as their fan base or, uh, you know, people that want to continue to hear their music can, can finance them and continue to provide uh, support for them. My background's in the music business. I spent about 15 years managing bands, including Stone Temple Pilots and about 20 other acts signed to major labels and major publishers. So I, I very attuned to the pain points that artists ex, ex, live with on a daily basis, right? They're, they're making art. They're out there struggling to make music. And it's one of the few industries where you can work hard and get paid nothing. And we've noticed that the deals are getting more egregious. The labels are taking more control. And Robert and I sat down and, and discussed the, we lamented the music business and said, what's the real problem? Yeah realized it wasn't really the distribution. There's plenty of backend distribution platforms like Spotify and iTunes, et cetera, but nobody was focused on bringing financial resources to the artist, right? Well, Unless you get a label deal or a publishing deal, you're kind of out there on your own with social media, hoping you're going to get something. So we thought there's a time and a place for a structure to come into play. And that time and place is now. Artists usually, you know, they only have a few, they only have a few things that they can bring to the table, right? Whether you're the producer or the writer, these things are the things that are of value, right? And so why not allow them to monetize that and create interest with the people that are most interested in seeing them make that? And that's their fan base. Very cool. And, and this has been interesting with music, with art and technology. Uh, technology really changed the way artists get paid, yeah. right? And the way that, that distribution works. So I remember in the, the older days, uh, in, as a musician, you could have a record label, uh, that label would actually get you distribution. 
uh, sell at record stores or CD stores and you get a portion of the sales, then with iTunes and, and all this happening, maybe walk us through like how it changed and what the problem is that you guys are solving there and how you're solving it. Well, it's changed in a, in a huge way. And I think as Robert likes to say, you know, there's been many promises made with technology to artists, yet none of that's really come through. In fact, you're making less and less money for more and more plays or say, say you know, streams on Spotify, for example, they pay 0. 0.0005, I believe, cents per, per, per stream. Wait, wait, wait. I, I got to wrap my head around that point zero zero would be zero cents. And then zero zero five after that. It's, I think it's four zeros, whatever it is. It's a fraction of what the value is, right? When you listen to your favorite song, you might listen to that song a thousand times, literally mm-hmm. your favorite movie. You might see, I don't know, three times, four times your favorite book. You might read two or three times yet. The music value prop is upside down. You're paying 99 cents for that song that you listened to a thousand times over 20 years. The book that you read three times, you paid $25 for, right? So we want to bring value back to the music business. Let people realize it's not just that that performer on stage. There's the co-writer, the producer, the bass player. Anybody that's involved in that team that put that song out there needs to be valued, right? There needs to be compensation paid for the work that they've done because the enjoyment factor is so deep and so long. It makes a lot of sense. No, no one does this completely solo or an island. There's a whole production team. There's people all all over invisible working behind the scenes to make this all happen. It's about the democratization of, of risk, right? So if more IP creators, like the writers, the producers, if they feel like they have a certain standard that they can maintain, like I can pay my bills, I can continue to create without having to be a bartender, as Steve says, work three jobs and then late at night, you're putting, you're putting your music together. We, we believe it'll empower a variety of different types of music, right? Once mm-hmm. risk is spread out, different types of genres can kind of get a leg up because I'm, I imagine currently it's all about what is really trending. And then everything sounds similar to that trend because you have to obscure the risk. But if you let fans come into the playing space and be able to say, you know, I really enjoyed this guy's guitar. I really enjoyed what he's doing. I want to support him. Um, I think you'll see varieties of, 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 uh, of styles and music kind of get a leg up again. And we're building this platform, not just for that key performer. It's not just for Bruno Mars. Right. I mean, Bruno's got a team, a production team around of 20 or 30 people. So the guy that co-wrote, the guy that produced, the engineer, the drummer, those folks that have rights in these songs that really no one knows them. They're the unsung heroes of music, but they're involved in many, many, many compositions that we all enjoy. This is their time to come out and be able to monetize their work. If you think about technology nowadays, I can call an Uber, right? I can order food. I can buy tickets for a movie. I can do a variety of different things. But now when I, when I see uh, some art that I like, I can't go directly to it, right? If I want to be involved directly with that artist, if I want to show support, whether there's a financial gain or not is really irrelevant. I want to be supportive and I want to hear him continue to make music. Why can't that artist directly to me, right, sell me slices of his IP or, or be able to share that experience with me? I think it's going to be very powerful for both the fan and, and, and the, the one making, making the music. So that's really fascinating to me, what you just hit on. Not only is there a problem with the way the, the model needs to change to adapt to technology so that the people involved can get compensated, but me as a music fan, uh, you're saying that I can actually buy some of the, I'm not just buying the rights to listen to it. I can own a piece of the song. Correct. You, you own the IP and now you share on the benefit of that IP, right? So at the end of the day, there's a really amazing feeling. I haven't experienced it per, uh, personally, but Steve has and a lot of artists have. When you hear that song play, when you hear 
that's streaming or in a store or anywhere. There's, 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 there's got to be an amazing sense of having, in some slight way, having participated in the creation of that. And that sets this platform apart from many others where you're, you're buying a stream, you're buying a download. This is the actual IP, ownership of the copyright or the master itself. So every time that song earns something anywhere in the world, you're being compensated right along with the artist. And we feel that emotional connection where people really want to be close to the artist, right? I and mean, this is the closest you can get is in their pocketbook. If your song is earning $10,000 a quarter and I bought, you know, one-tenth of that or 1% of that, I'm earning right alongside you in a way that you never could before. Very interesting. So what is the benefit to the artist to actually sell part of their song? Artists have always sold pieces of their songs, right? I mean, publishing deals, label deals that are now 360 deals. They go out and play at a, at a performance somewhere and someone says, you know, you have to license this or I, I want you to make sure that you do these 10 things before you get up on stage. They're, they're being paid in many different ways. What they're not realizing from the old school is they were already giving those rights up. We had a conversation with a management, a big management company two weeks ago, and they said, well, art, artists don't want to give up their rights. And I said, so none of your artists have record deals, right? Or publishing deals. Hmm. Oh, no, they all have record deals. I said, well, they've given up between 80 and 90% of their rights in that record deal. And they were like, what? They didn't even realize how much a record deal took from them. A typical publishing deal takes your entire catalog of work, which could be two, three, five, eight, ten records for seven years, and they take 25% as a fee. Okay, that's, oh, wow. that's a huge commitment and a huge deal and a huge chunk of rights to hold away. This platform allows an artist to put up as little as 1% of one song, and they set the terms. There's reversions of three, five, or ten years. There's the raise that they want to call if they want to raise a dollar or a hundred dollars or ten thousand dollars or a million dollars. That is all up to them. We give them full rights to do that and we charge them nothing for it. So is this kind of like then they can help fund or get the funding for the music, the art that they're creating up front? Well, the, no, the, the, the entire platform uh, is based on the fact that it has to be created first. Okay. If I'm giving you money for a song you may make, I mean, that's murky waters as far as like I'm concerned. If you made a hmm. painting and you're hanging in an art gallery, I go and I buy it, right? And that's, right. And that's kind of the, the impetus or the thought process behind all of this. We, you know, we think, like, if you're an artist directly and you have social media already, you're already in some ways selling other goods and services through your social media, right? And so it's just simple conversion of numbers, right? I have a million followers between 5 to 10% might invest in this song, give me between a dollar to $100, and that equals the monetization engine. If you're a writer, producer, someone that's peripheral, now you can take advantage of the fact that you worked with that artist. There's a name recognition in a variety of different things. If you're an up-and-coming artist and you're touring, hey, you know, uh, this is Billy. Thank you for coming to my show. Please support me. Find my song on Vest, right? Mm -hmm. What we want to do is create a marketplace where a fan that wants to be involved with an artist can have that kind of connection. I always use this as an example. Sports memorabilia. I worked on Wall Street. I worked in finance. I'd go to these offices. Some guy would have, you know, a $10,000 bat or a $3,000 seat from the Yankees. Maybe it didn't resonate with me. I'm not a Yankees fan, but someone is a fan of something, and that has value. It's the song I slow danced with my wife with. It's the song I was out in college, or this is, you know, whatever those memories are. Music is like when an artist dies, people cry because it's a very powerful one-way relationship, right? Yeah. It's, I didn't know David it's Bowie. Like, but, it's like we knew them, uh, right. but even, even not knowing them, they've touched our lives. Exactly, exactly. And, and we feel that that kind of connection is very powerful for both parts. The artist... Uh, wants to make something that is valued. He wants to uh, be seen by, by his fans. And in this case, the fans can actually participate in that opportunity with, with the artist. And we're doing something that no one else is doing. We're actually putting them in touch with their customer. 
right? The label keeps you at arm's length. iTunes will not give you the email or contact of your customer. Spotify will not tell you who the people are that are streaming your song. We will make that information available through our platform so that when you actually get someone investing in your song, you could touch them. You want to sell them tickets? Great. You want to invite them to a, a meet and greet after a show? You want to give them the next single that comes out? Whatever you want to do, we see no reason why you shouldn't be in touch with your fan base. I mean, that's, I don't know, that's like marketing 101 to me, but all these other arbiters, gatekeepers have put a wall between the artist and their fan base for whatever reason, we're going to bring that wall down. I mean, it's exciting to think about if you're an LA band and you're like, you're rocking, you put your music on the platform and all of a sudden your number one buyers are in Scottsdale, Arizona. These aren't likes, they're giving you money. So now you go, Hey guys, maybe we should tour in Scottsdale. Maybe we should tour in Akron, like wherever this, this roadmap I think will be really helpful. And of course the collection of data, I mean, everything is just statistics. What's the conversion rate, right? How do I approach uh, certain features within the marketplace to be able to raise more money so I can tour, so I can get studio time, so I can do PR. It's going to be really interesting to see when a fan becomes an advocate, right? I own $2 of your song or $1,000 of your song. What's going to be on my playlist? What am I going to share, right? How, mm-hmm. you know, my playlist is now going to be probably 80% things that I have, uh, that I have an interest in. Your playlist becomes your portfolio, right? So the stuff oh, that you've bought into you're going to share that and we're going to let people follow people. So you'll, there'll be a Warren Buffett of music, right? So someone who's very good at picking up and coming hits artists that are about to blow up and someone's going to go, wow, that guy's had a great track record over the last quarter, two quarters. I'm going to buy whatever he buys. And we're going to make that information public so everybody can follow each other. Very, very interesting. So the, there's a couple things you said that I, I want to kind of, kind of circle back to. So one of them is the connection with the fans uh, coming from a business perspective. Uh, I've run a couple companies uh, I'm a developer and entrepreneur. One of the things that we've run into is is getting uh, for one of my previous companies quite quite a large following on Facebook, a bunch of likes on our page, getting this audience, but realizing down the road we couldn't directly contact those people. Exactly. Right. So that's there's a lot of gatekeeping happening just in general. So not just in the music industry, but in business and with social platforms where they don't let you directly connect to your fans. You have to go through the platform and they'll change the strategy as well as about, you know, what you can do and how you can reach people. We had, we were getting a, a much better reach and then they, Facebook changed their algorithm and uh, in order to favor sponsored posts. And so now in order yeah. to get the same reach, we'd have to start spending a lot of money in order to do that. YouTube and Facebook do that constantly. I mean, I'm not sure what the reason is other than a profit motive. But for us, because we're on the artist side, we want that artist to connect. We want that fan to connect. We want that relationship to be engendered. We want to support that in any way we can. We're, so we think it's just fair. We're a user-based platform, right? So at the end of the day, our goal is to have a happy fan and a happy musician, right? And, and if we can do that transaction flawlessly and if we can provide that service for both parties, I think it'd be very exciting for the entire industry. And it doesn't really preclude record labels. Record labels can exist on the platform. Now they can minimize their risk and involve with more music. Um, if you're a well-known producer or, hey, you're Kanye West, these are my top 10 artists, I own 10% of these songs, how quickly would his fan base come in and finance those other artists? It'll allow more music and more distribution and more balanced out risk. And, and I think for anybody who loves music, that's just kind of like a win-win. There'll be longevity, there'll be different types of genres that kind of pick up regionally or whatnot. I, I think it'll be really exciting. Very cool. And, and so help us understand where labels fit in and where the platform fits in and where like Spotify fits in. If I had a song out uh, that was 
through a label and then also on Spotify, could I also use Vest? 100%. Yeah. And okay. I had a call from an independent label owner three weeks ago and he said, you know, I've, I'm an independent label over. How can I work with you guys? And I said, well, do you own your masters? He said, of course. And I said, well, why don't you put certain percentage of your masters on our platform and you could sell them back to the actual artist fan base. He's like, I could do that. I said, yeah, you own them, but you can monetize an asset that was diminished and actually bring back some of the recoup, some of the advances he paid out to the artist. As far as working with Spotify, we're not a distribution platform, but we're going to provide links to play and stream songs so you can hear what you're looking at and, and, and going through. Um, we have relationships now that we're working on that we're moving towards working with platforms like Spotify and YouTube. Eventually we want to partner with them. We'd love to have that happen where they had a, a buy button on their window or on their player that if you were interested in purchasing a piece of that song, it was available on our site. You can click it and go right through to a purchase arrangement. So we think of them as complementing their, their distribution platforms, pretty much YouTube and Spotify and iTunes at this point. Um, we are more of a financial resources, artist monetization platform than a, than a streaming platform, but it doesn't preclude labels or publishers. In fact, we had a publisher offer to put up 10,000 songs out of his publishing catalog just last week. So mm-hmm. publishers that don't work, yeah. as you may know, 98% of the catalog, right? They, all they love goes to the top two or 3% of their artists. The other 98% get no attention at all. So why not put a portion of those songs on a platform where they can be monetized by the public? That, that hasn't happened before. We, we look at this as Amazon for intellectual property, right? We're, we're, we're a marketplace. And the ecosystems that will grow within that marketplace will be a variety of different types of ecosystems, right? Depending on what value uh, the fan sees that ecosystem bringing to them. Perhaps, hey, I'm Rick Rubin. Look at my track record, right? I don't really, I love music and I, maybe I'm looking at music in a certain way, but I know Rick knows music better and I'm just going to finance Rick's endeavors, right? And participate right. through through that, we, we, we can't even fathom what individuals are going to figure out to do. I mean, there might be a guy saying, hey, I'm selling my beats for 500 bucks each, every single time, free and clear, right? Because we do yeah. provide reversions, but you could easily do soundtracks, film. I mean, just a variety of different things. So not, so not just songs that you'd, you'd listen to like on the radio or on Spotify. This is also if you wanted to put sound behind, like if you're making a custom video yep. or a website or a podcast or you need to license, you need to pay to license those traditionally. I mean, it's, it's, it's a way for you to have security in a marketplace, right? That's why people go to Amazon. They, they provide a very clean, simple platform. They don't hold any inventory. In reality, people put the inventory in there, right? So they're just an engine that, that, that creates a safe environment for that transaction to happen and to happen quickly and well. We've had interest from guys that write themes, right? CNN themes, TMZ themes, TV themes yeah. that actually earn a lot of money because those shows get played nonstop around the world. No one knows who they are. No one even knows the name of the song because it's just a theme song. But that piece of music has a lot of value. And having that kind of thing on our platform where our users can see the value in that, invest in that is great. Having a label deal or a publishing deal does not preclude you from being on this, right? Even if a label owns the masters and a publisher owns half of your publishing, you have the other half of your publishing, which is usually called the songwriter rights that are paid directly through a PRO like ASCAP or BMI. And what's a PRO? Performing rights organization. So they collect licensing fees for the use of public performances of your music everywhere in the world. There's 137 of them, I believe. But if you're a U.S. writer, you're going to use an ASCAP, BMI, or GMR, CSAC, one of the four. They're going to collect all the monies for you. That money generally gets paid directly to you, not through a publisher, not through your label. That's something that you own the rights to directly and could sell on this platform. Even if you have a label deal, even if you have a publishing deal. So let, let me ask you this. Why blockchain? Why? How does blockchain help question. with this? 
So when we were originally building the app, we were just looking at building it, you know, I don't want to call it the old fashioned way because it's literally been six months. <laughs> <laughs> uh, from from when you kind of Time pivoted. moves quickly in the it, blockchain it world. It does. We're in the future. But Steve and I were discussing it and I said, you know, there's something really powerful and interesting about a decentralized ledger that will hold the rights in a transparent way and also allow us to collect the royalties in a transparent way, right? Mm-hmm. And it's malleable. It can change quickly and, and report that. And by consensus, everybody knows that that has changed, right? So we wanted to build middleware on blockchain. We originally raised money from venture funds. And, we were, and can you define middleware or? Well, or yeah, how that I, works? yeah, I can say middleware. So for us, we're a real world application, right? So we're going to hold the ownership rights and we're going to collect royalties, but we're going to correct collect them from PROs and online uh, collection services, right? So it's a real world application. Mm-hmm. You buy the song rights with fiat, with USD, with you know pesos, depending what country we end up launching the app in. For us, it was to have a mechanism in the middle that was seamless. You as a user wouldn't even know that there's a blockchain component, right? Internally, it would provide a certain uh, service and features, kind of like the IBM blockchain does, where it, it takes currencies and, and is able to do those calculations. Mm. So we, we said, you know, let's find some blockchain developers. And, and we went to Atlanta and met with and interviewed a blockchain developer. And we, we saw this really keen opportunity to build on this, on this type of, of, of technology. Because ultimately, we believe that the collections and these other pieces will catch up on that end and there'll probably be some type of blockchain-driven collection system that we'll be able to connect to. There are a couple of uses of blockchain that are, are very obvious. FinTech, anywhere where there's financial records, yeah. record-keeping, rights management, that type of thing. And music rights was one of those that fell sp- splat onto blockchain. Everybody that hears it goes, that's one use that we, it's undeniable, right? People are trying to mm-hmm. blockchain drones and blockchain mm-hmm. scooters. We're like, okay, it's a piece of hardware. I'm not sure how you can put that on the blockchain, but music rights, no, no, no doubt. I mean, it's undoubtedly one of the best uses of this. And if you're familiar at all with the music collection systems around the world, it's arcane, right? People call it a black box because money goes in and never comes out. There's no accounting. There's no auditing. No one can tell you, Hey, this song played a year ago in Belgium at a bar, right? And it takes you eight to 12 months to collect those royalties from countries around the world right now. That's, that's ridiculous. In this digital age, that, that data is available now. You should be paid now and in real time. And as Robert mentioned, we're working towards that. That's not, you know, that's not phase one, but uh, hopefully a few years down the line, there'll be some mechanism that we can help. And, and there's other companies that corrects yeah, that. Yeah, there's other companies that are working on that. I mean, there's an entire MIT team and Stanford teams like creating these ledgers of, of, of content rights and so forth. And being middleware is going to allow us to just be able to do what we do best, which is bring value to IP, help to monetize that portion, so people can create, and then the collections uh, will come from a variety of different sources. And, and IP, just just in case anyone listening doesn't know what that is, intellectual property. Yeah, yeah. Intellectual. Sorry, I, I'm so, so used to. So that's kind of kind of the. Oh no, it's it's fine. Yeah. I just uh, it's my job to kind of ask yeah, ask no, the tough no, questions. Right, right. Um, so so in, intellectual property then would be the the ownership or the rights to ownership on creative works. Correct, correct, and we envision this going beyond music, right? There's, uh, and, you know, streaming that you could have from videos, uh, film, uh, books, a variety of different things. Even you know, patents. Patents, video mm-hmm. game code. Like, hey, I wrote this video game, but I want to do another version. Let, I'll share the royalty stream from this project once it's somewhat completed. I mean, we're, we're, we're thinking long-term a variety of different things, but obviously, just like Amazon did books perfectly, we want to do music perfectly. And then we can get into a variety of different things. Interesting. And so from what I'm hearing from you guys too, with blockchain, 
is that it it was kind of a natural fit because if traditionally you could develop a system yourself that could keep track of this stuff, but blockchain at its core keeps track of basically who has how much of what. So you can create virtual representations. It could be of a currency or of tokens or of songs. And blockchain just by default, that's what it does and that's what it does well. You've got 137 different collections mechanisms in different countries around the world. They all operate on different systems. Okay. The rights are effed up. If if your name is misspelled by one letter, if the song title is misspelled by one letter or one word, you will never see those monies. And you won't even know that you're not seeing it until you do an audit, if you could do an audit. So having something on 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 a ledger that's available globally in real time does a lot to straighten out this crazy, crazy system that people take for granted. We met yeah. an artist in Dubai. We were in Dubai last Monday and the guy came from Nigeria. And I said, well, what PRO are you signed up with? What collection mm. society? He's like, mm. there is no collection society in Nigeria. I said, so wait, the largest economy in Africa, other than South Africa, I think, has no collections mechanism for music? He's like, no, we're registered he's, in he's London. registered in London. It's oh, just wow. to be able to collect something and then he can make money when he performs. But anything that's being played or what have you, it's just in the ether. I mean, it's, it's an interesting thing. It's a perfect storm if this back end becomes transparent and that money just starts flowing in and we can help change the front end of the financial structure. I mean, I think for artists and creators, it becomes a tidal wave of financial opportunity, right? And, and even if it's not here today, we envision this is something that could very easily happen within the next five, six years. It's transparency, right? I mean, uh, the film business is probably notoriously the worst, but music is a close second. Nobody knows where that money comes from. I've managed artists that don't read their account statements, don't understand their account statements, could never yeah. afford to do an audit against their label, much less a PRO. So they're, they're artists, not accountants or finance people. Yeah, but some of them have very well-paid accounts and very well-paid attorneys that sometimes are in the pockets of the labels and publishers and PROs. So there's, there's this weird symbiotic relationship where, you know, don't bite the hand that feeds you. But don't, you know, don't ever audit the hand that feeds you. trust them 100% either. Well, there's vested interest, just like any industry. But in this one, it's global. And it's something that there's a lot of money flying around the world with. And a lot of people that are, that are part of this system. I mean, all of us here have bought music at some point or paid for music at some point, And probably hundreds, if not tens of thousands of dollars over our lives. That's serious money, right? And to not know where that goes and just say, oh, here's a check. Don't worry about it. That's where that's the status of this of this industry right now. It's terrible. It really is. So what I heard from you too. Uh, tell me if this is if I'm understanding this right. Uh, right now, if an artist wants to create music, we'll we'll stick with music for this one and get paid royalties when that music is used in different places. Then there are different agencies or different organizations tracking that are completely disconnected from each other. They're not completely disconnected. If Say they're a U.S.-based artist, so they sign up with either ASCAP or BMI. There's two other societies, but those are the two major ones. Mm-hmm. They register their name. They have to call something a, a publish. They develop a name for a publishing company, uh, which they make up. And then they register each song with that society. That society is supposed to go out and collect for that song anywhere else in the world that collections are made on behalf of that song title. All that money goes into a pool. <laughs> Get this. All the money goes into a pool. And then they divvy up that pool at the end of every period, every quarter or semi-annual period based on how many times that song was played. But wait, there's more. It's not just how many times that song was played because that would be actually be fair. They say, no, if you're what's called a tier one artist, which means you're a very, very popular artist in the past, you're going to get paid 1.5 times 
what you're what you should have been paid. Sounds kind of like taxes. It's it is like it's like taxes in reverse because they're taking the money from you and giving it to somebody else because they're more popular. I don't know how that's fair, but that's the wow. system that's in place. There's big slush funds. These are supposed to be nonprofit societies, at least in the U.S., and they have slush funds to in, in, entice other artists to come over. They'll like, here's a million dollar bonus. Where did that million dollars come from? It came from all the other artists that are supposed to be collecting that money. It's been paid through to some favorite that that society names for that time. It's it's. It is a very, very muddled and crooked system. Very interesting. So, uh, so great. It sounds like there's lots of challenges to solve. Uh, it, it's amazing what you guys are doing. Very interesting. So what stage are you at right now with the, with the progression of this, the roadmap? And so we're, you know, obviously knee deep in development, which is kind of, you're straddling two, wor- two worlds. Like you're meeting with an artist one day, you're meeting with a publisher and then you're going in and like talking to your developers. It's, Kind of a little bit surreal, right? Because one is very talent-driven and the other one is very analytical. Um, we're looking at having our, you know, we want to be in the app store, both obviously Apple and, and Android. Uh, second quarter of this year, we'd like to launch or have a launch party at Coachella. We have an event at South by Southwest where we'll have a beta for testing. So we're moving quickly with, with, with the development, barring any pivots or you know, user issues as far as like, hey, I don't like the way that 90% of this works. I think we're right on the timeline. Right now you can go on www.vezt.co and actually participate in what we call an ISO, initial song offering. So we have a list of artists, a limited list right now that have put up their songs for sale on our platform and you can actually participate in that today. Um, but we're starting at that because that was a very alpha version that we're doing as a proof of concept and we're moving towards this mobile and, app that Robert spoke of. And every time we've done... March an offer, we mentioned that we're going to do an offer kind of online. We get a massive spike of, you know, how do we do it? We want to get involved. How do we get these rights? So we're, we're really excited about how much attention we're getting with barely even, you know, scraping the surface. It's, it's, you don't realize how ferocious, you know, how fans can be like, I love that song. I want that song. It's a really interesting thing to, to, to see beyond streaming it. Right. It's, it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's a it's a very cool cool value proposition. And uh, what one more thing I want to ask you guys: uh, Why LA? What what kind of resources are out here? Why, well, why uh, not base this in can SF I, or New York? Can I be candid? <laughs> London. So uh, the resources aren't really that you know the, on, on the technical side. It's obviously anybody who's in the space knows how hard it is to hire developers. If they're typically available, they're not that good. And the ones that are good, you got to catch them when they're leaving, like when they're crossing these little bridges. So. That has been uh, a trial and tribulation that, you know, we're constantly hunting for, for proper talent. So that's been difficult in L.A. because it doesn't have the talent pool, say, San Francisco or New York or some, uh, some of these other hubs. L.A. Have. is the home of talent. I yeah. mean, as far as artistic talent goes. So actors, musicians, writers, composers, creators, this is it. I mean, SF's known as engineering and, and yeah. tech, tech center. But mm-hmm. this has always been the place where people come and they have no physical means to support. You see people eating at you know, Starbucks or Earth Cafe at like two o'clock in the afternoon. Like, what do you do? Well, I'm an actor. Oh, okay. I'm a musician. I'm a musician. I'm a guitar Writing player. Writing a script. This is the place yeah. where all that creativity comes to live. So we thought, what better place to headquarter than where the center of that talent universe is? We actually can help the artists that are out there. And, and we have probably three or four artists a day come through our office that we're putting on board and helping them figure out a way to strategize with it, us. Because and we couldn't do that in any the, other city. Yeah, this yeah. is the epicenter of that. Like, you know, if we were... Anywhere else, there's no way you're going to have that much talent, that many people that are interested coming by the door just to have a conversation with you. 
So that's one really beautiful thing about Los Angeles. We love LA. Cool. And so to check <laughs> we love out LA Tech. Yeah. There we, we love, go. LA, we love tech. LA Tech. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Sure. Uh, so to check out more, uh, find out what you guys are up to and and see which artists are uh, are on the platform so far and what the progress is, when the apps are going to be out, uh, I could just check out your website, vezt.co. Correct. That's right. right. And then how do people get in touch with you guys directly? Uh, Steve? My email is steve at vezt.co. Okay. And Robert? Uh, Robert at vezt.co. Sorry. Vezt.co. <laughs> yeah. And uh, any social media that we should follow? We have Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Twitter. You could find it under the same uh, vezt. You know, if you go to our yeah. website, there's links to all of our social, but we have YouTube channels. We got Telegram, Twitter, Instagram, you name it, we have it. We present a lot of content, so there's plenty of updates for people to see. Where whenever an artist comes in, we do a video, we do a photo, we discuss what we're building with them. We really want to be connected to the community that we're working with. Um, and the only way to do that is through content. We're sponsoring concerts. We're getting knee-deep into what makes this industry work and how we can make it work better. And we brought on brand ambassadors like Nipsey Hussle, Busy Crook. We're talking to the guys from Quincy Jones's company. Dre from Cool and Dre. Dre I mean, from yeah. Cool and Dre and DJ Khaled. So yeah, we're, it, it's a community wow. that we're building. We're finding there's a lot of attention there. Great. And do you guys have any asks for the community? I mean, use it, <laughs> you know, check it out. And uh, any and all input is always appreciated because we're building this for you. So at the end of the day, you know, reach out to us. If you have an idea, reach out to us. If there's something that you think you can add to our narrative, we're happy to, to listen. Yeah, we're on the artist side. So on the creator side, if you've got ideas, you've got input, you think we're doing something right or, or wrong or we're leaving something out, please reach out. We're very, very open to that. All right, great. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for coming on the show. No, thanks thank you for having us. And Appreciate thanks it. everyone for listening. Have a great weekend and see you next Friday. Woo! <laughs> Every startup and tech company is after one main thing. Creating a company culture. I'd like to introduce you to Poppin. They think about culture for a tech company from their design to the functionality of all their furniture. It's gorgeous colors. They have conference room tables that turn into ping pong tables. They have normal coffee tables that turn into cornhole tables. They have functional lounge chairs where you could work and relax all at the same time. Stand desk, sit down desk, anything that you could think of. Poppin is proactive about embracing our community culture, bringing everyone together at their incredible Silicon Beach mixers. Definitely go to poppin.com. Mention we are LA Tech to get on the invite list. Poppin's main mission is to create an atmosphere where we together can work happy. Poppin.com. P-O-P-P-I-N.com. To join in the conversation and chat with me and other crypto enthusiasts, check out the crypto channel on the We Are LA Tech private Slack at wearelatech.com slash VIP. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are not the opinions of We Are LA Tech or their participants and are subject to change. The content of the show, the videos, website, and all related works are provided for entertainment purposes only. It is not intended to be, nor does it constitute financial investment or trading advice of any kind. You shouldn't make any decisions as to investing, finances, trading, or anything else based on this content without undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional financial advisor. Please understand that the trading of bitcoins and alternative cryptocurrencies have potential risks involved. Anyone wishing to buy, sell, or trade any of the currencies or tokens mentioned on this podcast should first seek their own independent financial advisor. 